How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Mm, welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. Yeah. Welcome, 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 everybody. Everybody is welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. Because now that you're here, we can really get going. We've got so much to talk about tonight. It's going to relate, I think, to everybody because it's happened at some point to everyone. But at some point in our life, we may fall in love with someone and then tragedy can hit. We can be devastated. And Tom, I wonder with that, if you could introduce our guest for tonight. I'm doing my best, Dr. Joe. It's, it's hard sometimes. <laughs> Tonight, Dr. Joe, we are welcoming back an old favorite. You may remember her as the author of uh, Move On, Friends, My Friends, <laughs> Jody Eckleberry Hunts. For those who don't remember, Jody Eckleberry Hunts is a board-certified health psychologist who swears her way to sanity using cognitive behavioral therapy, mindfulness, humor, positive psychology, and profanity. Jody has more than 25 years of professional experience helping others find meaning in a crazy world. Welcome back to the Dr. Joe Show. Yay. Welcome. Welcome back, Jody. Thank nice you for to, having nice me. To, I'm happy to be here. It is our pleasure. Yeah. I mean, as Tom was alluding to, last time we had you on, you just published Move On. Uh, we can't say it because Mofo. 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 Um, but this book uh, takes on a very different kind of tone. It sounds really important getting to good riddance. Let's hear about it, Jody. What's the book? So I do, I don't, I, I do all sorts of therapy, individual, couples, family. Um, it just so happens that during the pandemic, I had a lot, during the height of the pandemic, I had a lot of time on my hands. And I was seeing more and more couples come in saying, we're just getting on each other's nerves, like all this togetherness, working from home, no socialization. And most of those problems we could work through. But I was also seeing a fair number of individuals coming in saying, this is just the time I'm calling it, I'm done, or being on the receiving end. And so having seen that and having thought for many years, I just want to write a how-to, how to get through the initial heartbreak. Because um, I, I guess my big issue was that people would come in to see me, we would talk about what had happened, and they would get to a good place and they would leave and start analyzing and reanalyzing and set second guessing and doubting. And then they would go back and start calling and texting the other person, enhancing their own heartache and come back. And we would just keep starting over and starting over. So I wanted to write a guide that people could reference in between their visits and just helping them understand what went wrong, how, how to feel better, but then getting to a place about to look at what went wrong how do I know myself better so that I can change some of the patterns that keep me coming back to the same place? Mm. And it's, um, I think, again, it's something that we've all experienced, COVID or not, um, at different ages of our lives, 
different meaningful moments. Um, there was, in the, in the beginning of the book, there's this quote, um, I think the reason breakups hurt even more than the death of a loved one is the knowledge that the other person does not want to be with you, does not want to be with you anymore. I like to hear more about that. Well, I think um, that is probably the deepest core pain in looking at when somebody breaks up with an individual, that individual starts to look at what is wrong with me instead of looking at maybe it wasn't a good fit, right? So that's all the self-created pain, the pain of I'm not good enough or what it was it particularly about me. And I guess I look at that as sort of a diversion or a distraction, but it's incredibly painful, incredibly painful place. You, you know what I'm talking about. I do, I do. And, and remember, you know, Dr. Joshua revolves around the I am approach and this is the I see domain. You know, how do I see myself? How do I think other people see me? And when somebody says, you know, we're done and you have to then come to terms with that. I, I, I mean, Tom, Mark, did anything like this ever happen to you as you were growing up? I mean, everyone, right? Never. I don't, know what you mean. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Just mm. Shove it down, right? Make it go yeah. away. Bury it. Deni yeah, denial is not just a river in Egypt, as we say. Uh, yeah, it's, it's hard. You know, it, but, but having someone abandon you, break up with you, say you're not good enough, it, it really does get to the core of who we are as human beings. Are we valuable or not? Can we just go through maybe the book. So you lay out some of the cognitive behavioral stuff right at the beginning. Do you want to just talk a little bit about the layout of the book? Yeah, so I have it here. Um, I, I, and I, I think it's important for me to say that most of the time when I meet with people who are going through a breakup, and as we talked during the break, it can be very challenging, even if you're the person doing the breaking up. So either way, if you're receiving or giving, this book comes in audio because a lot of people are just having a hard time concentrating. Uh, and that's a big issue. Like they wanna read, they wanna understand, but they can't take it in. So as I talk with cognitive behavioral therapy, we all have our own baggage. We all have our filters, the way we see ourselves, the world, other people, but you have to understand that. Uh, you're, you have to understand the bias that you have. And so I, I do a little bit of what I call psychology 101, identifying your self-talk and understanding mindfulness. And I introduce a fair amount of humor, but I immediately get into how to cope with the breakup. A, a lot of times people tell me, I can't even get out of bed. Like I'm having a hard time getting my work done. And so really it becomes survival strategies. That's where I start. And again, if you're past that, there's still value in the book beyond that. Um, then I talk about grief because what you were mentioning earlier, having somebody break up with you, this rejection, you go, people typically go through stages of grief, like this isn't happening. And the bargaining stage is that really tricky one where I will do anything, please, I will change. I'll do better. I'll do better. And that's really, um, to me, a, a pivotal stage because 
you, while I think um, we all hmm, should have to, we all have to work at relationships, undoubtedly. I think that's a big fallacy, this idea that if you're in love, it's just easy. It's not. However, you can't change who you are fundamentally as a person to please somebody else. That will never work. If you tend to be introverted and your partner's extroverted and wants an extrovert, you can try to move to the extrovert side, but you'll never be an extrovert. Uh, so I guess what I'm saying is recognizing the bargaining can then set you up for another heartache because you're not being true to yourself. So some of the stages about acceptance, hopefully, and moving on, anger. Anger is my favorite stage because it gives people energy. After that, I move into love. And there are theories of love. I, I like to laugh and say I take the fun, all the fun out of romance and help people understand that we all have these myths or love stories, the things that we're looking for. And unfortunately, and this gets to, I think, probably a lot relevant to your theories um, about the social environmental context, people look at social media and I think they have a very skewed idea of what love is because people aren't being honest and there are these curated ideas of what your relationship should be and they're not realistic. And so people feel like they don't measure up. So really identifying love and by the way, what is healthy love? Just because somebody says they love you, that doesn't mean it's a healthy love. Like if I love you so much that I stalk you, is that love? So it's understanding what is love, what is abuse because you may not have experienced a healthy love before. So I talk a bit about that and um, deciding what your appropriate expectation should be. And then, and, and by the way, again, recognizing that this can apply to a lot of different sorts of relationships, understanding infidelity and recognizing that just because somebody's unfaithful to you doesn't mean that it's a char characterological defect. Um, infidelity can be related to just staleness in a relationship. I move into the bad actors, the folks with narcissistic tendencies, the people who um, are abusive, people who are overly dependent and understanding how to manage those folks in a breakup, boundaries and codependence, forgiveness, finding peace, and then finding the happiness you want. And I'm gonna end on the review on that note and say one really important thing in terms of moving on from a breakup is being very clear with yourself about the things you want in a relationship and the things you don't want in a relationship and using that as a guide and don't compromise what you want. You'll never be successful in happiness in a relationship if you're not true to the things that you say that you want. It sounds like a great roadmap to, to manage what, what really is, is I think one of the most difficult experiences I've ever had when somebody said, you know, this romance is over. It's devastating. And then, you know, I think years later I was able to, to look back using the IM and say, wait, it may not just have been me. Something may have been going on with the other person. So I think you address that as well in this book, right? That, you can step back and look again at what happened in the relationships. Well, and, you know, the idea that you're going to be a perfect fit for everybody out there is just not 
is just not realistic. Um, and why would you want to force it on somebody else? I think, again, at a core expectation should be you want somebody who can't wait to be with you. And it's just not realistic to think that that's going to be everybody. But just because somebody doesn't want to be with you doesn't mean it's re reflective of you. It could, they have, you know, it could be a variety of things. People who maybe even like, for example, somebody who is dating somebody else who hasn't quite figured out their sexual identity. And I could take it personally, but it has nothing to do with me. It's just that the other person is still trying to figure out um, that piece of themselves. So th I think that's a, a good example. We don't know what everybody has going on. We assume we do, but we don't. And I mean, one of the things that, that strikes me about this is the most difficult feeling I think for a human being to tolerate is being powerless. Uh, because millions of years ago, if we were powerless, meant we were lunch, something that was about to eat us. So I think that that may be part of what is in play here as well. When somebody is breaking up with you, you begin to say, well, what should I be doing different? You want to comment on that? Well, and, and that is... Um... That is a difficult question because there are some times we are behaving badly. And so seeing you, I'm not saying that you blow off feedback, but you, you have to be intentional and reflective. So if somebody is saying, I don't want to be with you because you're jealous or because you're controlling, you need to think about that. But if somebody is saying, you know what, I, I, I just don't, I don't want to take it further, or I don't, I don't think we're a good fit. That's a different story. So I, there's not a blanket necessary answer. It's just being reflective. And of course, I'm biased. I think having a therapist to sort it out with can be, can be very helpful. It can be. Is there a, a particular target audience for this book? Because, you know, I know it seems sort of like a silly question, but can you apply this to other things as well? Like not just romance. Like being fired? Like being fired. Did you say being fired? Yeah. I, I do. Uh, I also think the answer to that is it depends on the person. If the person reading it is, is reflective. I had somebody uh, who read the book, uh, an advanced copy, and she said she broke up with cigarettes. And she found this book to be so helpful in breaking up with her toxic relationship with cigarettes. Mm -hmm. Somebody else told me it. Um, I had somebody else who bought the book and said they bought it because they had a toxic friendship. And so there was a, they wanted to use it to break up with a friend. And that was a very emotional and difficult breakup with the work because they had good times, right? And that's what we tend to do by the way, when we're hurting, we go back to the good times because that, that feels good. But unfortunately, when we do that, we focus on the good times and we override the bad stuff. And then we think, why am I doing this, right? So indeed, it can apply to a lot of different situations, but it takes the person to kind of be able to apply that to themselves. Mm. Oh, I saw you like nodding your head enthusiastically with this well i was thinking about groups that i had been a part of where there were a lot of fun times but it made me a worse person a worse person 
Yes, because I, I was indulging meaner spirited parts of myself. And you broke up with that that group of friends. It's it's complicated. So I mean, a lot of people left over time, and we were like, man, whoa, how did we get into that? And it's a it's a it's a long and complicated story. We have an episode with uh, YouTuber Izzy Nobre where we discuss that chapter of our lives. Yeah, so people can certainly refer back to that. But it, but again, it it it's it's such um, an applicable book that it's not just to romance. It's what what is it when you and your IC domain are are feeling less valued and how that triggers so many different things in your biological domain. And then you wonder, well, what's happened in my home domain, my social domain, and, and how vulnerable we may be if in our home domain growing up, you were not valued as much. You address some of that here and there in the book. Yeah, in fact, um, uh, one of the things that I am super excited about in this book, because of what I was trained in a lot of developmental psychology. So I just love the developmental theorists. And Eric Erickson is one of my favorite. And I specifically go back to Eric Erickson's stages of psychosocial development. So around what age were you learning certain tasks about mastering who you are in your environment, um, being autonomous, uh, being industrious, all of that. But if you didn't have the healthiest of conditions, in terms of boundaries. And what I say in specifically boundaries, being able to say no, being able to protect yourself. If you didn't learn that or it wasn't respected. So the example I give is if you had somebody who touched you inappropriately, that's such a boundary violation. You grow up and at the time you didn't really fully understand it, but you grow up maybe not fully understanding what an appropriate boundary is, or that you have the power to say no, or when that is, or if somebody walked in on you when you were an adolescent dressing, and you said, get out, and the person didn't get out, and you can lose your sense of voice, I guess. And so when you're talking about some of those things, I'm thinking specifically about boundaries, which are so important. Where do I end and somebody else, where do they begin? And the responsibility for behaviors and outcomes. And that's that's a huge challenge for most human beings. It absolutely is. Yeah, how did you come up with the title? Well, uh, th this, is, this is honest. Whenever I would listen to people talk about their breakup story, they would come in just such anguish. And in my mind, I was always thinking, well, good riddance to that person. They don't—they don't make you feel good, or no one can make you, but they don't contribute to your well-being. So, good riddance. And I was always thinking, how can I get you from here to good riddance? That, and I didn't say that to people, but it was always playing in my head. So I thought, what a what a good title. Great title. It is. It is. And it's 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 so cathartic to be able to say, you know. I'm done with you. This, yeah. you know. Yeah, just, and in fact, I don't want to get people stuck in anger or resentment. Good riddance is, it's it's gone. It right. it's in the past. I've moved on. Right. Closure. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, one of the things I, I say is, you know, you don't get over these things, but you come to terms with them. I mean, you know, this was part of your life 
But if you can step back, when you can step back and look at this, be mindful, do the reflection, wonder about it. There's amazing things you'll learn, but in order to do that, you have to believe that when all is said and done, you will find value in yourself. Because if you're afraid you're gonna find a broken person, no one's gonna look. Why would you wanna look? Why would you wanna explore? And again, that's part of what the I am is saying is, you know, you know, no one's broken. But if you don't like what you're doing, you can change it. Here it is. So in, in the book, you explain the techniques and how they work. So do you want to just give us a, a technique? A te well, <laughs> well, okay, a couple, a couple of things come to mind is I do tell people um, you are overloaded with emotion early in the breakup. So I just need for you to follow a plan, which mean, which essentially means we, we flesh it out in the office, get your posse together. And whenever you feel like calling this person, have a friend that you can call first, who's going to talk you out of it, block all contact. Don't be watching sad movies or playing sad songs. Don't look at old photos, like block all the input. I, I do tell people, like if you're going throughout your day and all of a sudden you get a text or a phone call from this other person that you're breaking up with, it can, it's very intrusive. Like you can be having a good moment and then you can't unsee it. So it's just better to get rid of it. So those are some of the early techniques, but once you are starting to move on. The, the big one I think is making that list of, I have three columns. These are the things that I must have in a relationship. These are the things that I must not have. Meaning if you want somebody who um, doesn't gamble or doesn't drink or doesn't use alcohol, whatever. And the, the middle column is these things don't really matter to me and don't deviate from that. So those are some of the things that, and again, you could apply that to friendships. These are the things that I want in friends or don't want or in a work environment. So yeah, you can apply those to a lot of different situations. But I, one of the things you said I want to comment on, and uh, given your background in working with adolescents, um, I think that this will resonate. Uh, adolescents, I, I don't work with them often, but I have worked with some and I know I probably drive them crazy a bit. I tell them that your job is to date like crazy. Um, because every single experience will help you understand yourself better. So the expectation that you're going to meet somebody and stay with them is, in my opinion, flawed and not helpful because you've got to really date like, again, date like crazy. All of those experiences, so even in, in adulthood, help you understand yourself better. And um, somebody posed this question to me recently, and which was, what is, in your opinion, the greatest psychological strength? And my response after reading the question was the ability to tolerate pain. Because if you can sit in the pain and allow it to happen, you can learn from it. But if you try to escape it, you'll just repeat the, the pain later. You're just postponing it. Yeah. Yeah, being able to tolerate pain. And I, I, I like the advice, you know, date as much as you can. But, um, but some people, are, it's so interesting. They, 
they think that they, there's the person and this is who I'm with and this is the only person. But we treat it like marriage here. Yeah, but 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 my ultimate advice as well is never lie to your partner. Always be honest. Never lie. If you're going to be interested in somebody else, don't go behind the first person's back because all that does is create the subterfuge and the dishonesty and it's difficult, but uh, having those sort of honesty in relationship, that's what you, that's what you want in every relationship. I mean, it's about trust, right? Respect leads to value, value leads to trust. You have to be able to do that. And friendship. So and friendship, that's right. And, and in, in anything, right? That, and that's why the book, again, is applicable to so many things. It's not just about romance. It's about all the relationships we have in the world. What happens when a relationship doesn't work out the way you want it, the way you were expecting it? It doesn't mean you're broken. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. You know, I talk about this in theater. Uh, and one of, my, one of my dear friends, Brad Lamack, wrote about this in, in his book, um, The Business of Acting. He said, if, if, if a director or producer doesn't pick you for the show, it doesn't mean you're not a good actor. It just means you're not right for that show. So I think it's the same thing in, in, in many ways. I'm, I'm curious um, about the chapter that you have about being addicted to love when you keep going back for more. Can you talk a little bit about, about the addiction to love? Well, I, as I say, people ask me, can you be addicted? And I've heard that question enough times. Like originally my first response was no, no. Um, but I have seen enough times. And what I mean by that is folks who feel uh, somehow compelled almost obsessing about a toxic relationship and unable to stop themselves from going back, even if they can look me in the eye and say, I know this is um, my undoing. I know this relationship will kill me. I know it's awful. I, mean, I have seen folks just be so destructive to one another and then can and continue to get back together. And so I, I say, okay, whatever. If you want to call it addiction, fine. But then we manage it like an addiction. Like, for example, you may go back to alcohol over and over, even though it is destroying your life. And so it becomes a matter of let's get in your head and set yourself up to make sure that you have multiple speed bumps or barriers to going back. So, for example, if you're trying to quit using alcohol, I tell people, don't have alcohol in the house, don't go to the bar. Uh, make sure that you're hanging around people who aren't going to be offering you a drink and aren't drinking in front of you until you're able to manage it. Same thing I, I would say with that unhealthy relationship is just being, it comes down to a behavioral plan, in my opinion. But those triggers are going to be there in future relationships. And the as I said to you earlier, I think givers attract takers. So recognizing we all have an energy that we put out into the world and recognizing that we might be attracted to certain people because of unresolved stuff from our past. Um, if we had an abusive parent, 
maybe we're attracted to those characteristics in somebody else. It's not that we want to be abused. It is that those characteristics are familiar. So it's just recognizing in a cognitive way and staying away from those things before we fall down that rabbit hole. I've seen a lot of analogies. I'm picking up on a lot of analogies with uh, substance abuse addiction, though, that you make those comparisons <laughs> here, obviously, but also earlier you were talking about, you know, you have to have that group of friends. You have to have that network that's going to stop you from picking up the phone and grabbing that pipe or whatever, you know, a substance bottle or needle or what have you. I mean, there must be a lot of similarities in that brain, right? Can be. And I, I think I, I say in here, I, I don't know the evidence behind this, but I have no doubt that if you're maybe thinking about this, the high of this relationship and they put you in a scanner, your brain's going to light up as if you were doing a drug. I, I have right. no doubt about that. Right. But if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, right? If it's toxic, how do you tell somebody you know, why are you going back to that person? Well, typically, um, I tell people, your world is going to look a whole lot different if we can detox you right. from this other person. Can you trust me? And usually I say, you're paying me. So can you trust me? Let's give this a try. And I, I, it doesn't work with everybody, but with the people who stick it out, usually they say, whew, you're right it looks a whole lot different on the other side. Yeah. And to go back to that word familiar, there is a difference between something that is familiar and something that is comfortable. Those two things are not always the same. Familiarity, we may be less anxious because we can sort of recognize it, but that doesn't make it comfortable. It can still be just as dangerous. Mm -hmm. We need to be cautious with it. What's happening in February? So I... <clears throat> I like all my books, of course, but this book, um, I don't know if I can say the title or not. I, I guess you can bleep me out. Badass Stories, Grit, uh -huh. Hope and Healing in the Shit Show. Um, I've wa I wanted to write that one a long, long time ago. Um, but fear and as Brene Brown, fear of getting into the arena. Brene Brown talks about fear of getting into the arena. got into the way. Um, I kept judging myself as not good enough. And so these other books came out first, and now I feel empowered enough to write this other book, but it is a book of short stories about grit, growth, hope, and healing, and recognizing we're all in the world together. No one is alone. And sadly, the, the, those inspirational books, I think, are fabulous, and I think people feel inspired by them, but yet at the same time, a disconnect because not everybody's life is like that and wrapping up in a bow, like everything is neatly done at the end. My stories aren't like that. They're ongoing. Everybody is a work in progress and in a journey. But I, I want to highlight the things that make us that we have in common, I guess. So yes, that book comes out in February and I am pumped. It's exciting. Sounds, it sounds very exciting. It sounds great. Um, and I, I'm just wondering, whether it, it's building on all the other experiences that you've had. I mean, you say this is a book you wanted to write a long time ago. 
because I've learned so much from people. And I, I think that that is the big, the big deal is sometimes people come in and they tell me their stories. They had to work up a lot of courage to tell me their story, but they felt so shamed and isolated. And when they tell me, and I, I am accepting of that, that is so healing. And I, I think sharing some of those themes with other people, that's my goal is to help people understand they're not alone. Um, and there's such healing and he hearing that other people have some of the same struggles. You know, this is, this is a, a very important theme that you are not alone. Um, a colleague of mine, uh, Ken Duckworth through NAMI is gonna be coming out with a book shortly with that title, You Are Not Alone. And what, what, what's really happening here is this shift finally moving away from the stigma of mental illness and substance use as if somehow you're a bad person and you don't belong in my group, which means people are alone and that's why they're so ashamed to, to say anything. But Jody, I mean, we're, I think that we're moving into a really wonderful, wonderful world where, I mean, granted there's, there's all the scary stuff that's happening. There's all the violence, there's all the stuff, but we can step back and understand why. Because people have felt disrespected. They have felt alone. What are you meant to do? Oh, sounds like a great book. When, when you talk about putting it all together, um, can you talk a little bit about that, the final chapter in this particular book? The, the finding your happiness? Yeah. I, I think um, that, that I wrote that chapter hoping to get at one big myth that we have about happiness is that it should just happen to us. I am a believer that happiness takes a lot of work. It, it's not fun to think about that, but as with relationships, I think we have to put some time and energy into discovering our happiness, finding it and cultivating it and continuing it. Like that's, that's sort of the sad truth. And it really starts with deeply understanding yourself, being honest about who you are and figuring out what you want and not settling. So yeah, real easy, right? Yeah. Well, that's, that's, I mean, that, that is exactly what the I am is about. Who you are and why you do what you do. And if you don't like it, you can change it. Here are the four things that influence you. Your home, the social domain, the biological domain, and the I see. How I see myself, how I think other people see me. That's part of what getting to good riddance is all about, right? Is all these domains have now influenced you. You're in a, in a relationship that's done. And now what do you do? That's why folks, you, you really, please go get a copy of this book. It will give you an insight into what may have happened before. It will help you to help other people who may be going through it. And hopefully you don't go through it again yourselves because, uh, we are social animals and we want to be with other people. So when we are rejected, whew, all sorts of things can happen. And you know what? I, I, I will add to that. I think that um, 
we have to learn to be kinder to ourselves because that we can learn to love ourselves. And I, I think that that doesn't mean that we have to celebrate every single quality we have. There are always going to be things that we don't like. But I think that in a breakup, it's a very painful time. The judgment and all of that self-criticism is optional. And that's, you wouldn't say those things to a friend. You wouldn't say them to a colleague. You wouldn't say them to your children. Why are you saying them to yourself? And if you continue to do that, you are not going to be able to move past in a healthy way. That's a great question. Why do we do that to ourselves? Um, I think that there is a, okay, so this is my own opinion. I think that one, one reason is that we're not looking into our own eyes when we say those things. And we wouldn't say it to other people because we're looking into their face, right? And we're not like standing in front of a mirror when we're saying these judgmental things. But there's an idea if we beat ourselves up enough or we criticize ourselves enough, we'll somehow stop ourselves from making the same mistake again. When in fact, I think we're increasing the risk of making those same mistakes again. Mm. It's so interesting, isn't it? how difficult it is for us to see ourselves as doing the best we can. But even that's an I am. Even that's an I am. So with the four domains, the I am approach, you know, the idea is we're always doing the best we can responding to the four domains of our home domain, the social domain, the biological domain of your brain and body, and the I see, how I see myself, how I think other people see me. Because the domains interact, small change can have a big effect. You don't need to change everything. So Jody, what small change can you recommend to our listeners in the context of breakups? Um, the, the simplest answer is stay off social media. I think that social media has a profoundly negative influence on our concept of relationships and love and what is real. Uh, so that's a very simple answer, but I think more complicated probably is also goes along with your uh, I am approach is focus on what you can control and that is taking care of yourself. Um, that's all you can control and you can't force somebody to be with you and why would you want to anyway? Yeah, I, I call it anti-social media. I really do because it's, it's just can be so, so toxic. And you move towards the second truth of the I am because everybody has an I am. Everyone's interested in what you think or feel about them through their IC domain, which has an effect on their biological domain because you know it feels different when you feel respected or disrespected. It feels different when somebody says, I want to be with you or I don't. Because you're part of someone's home and social domain, you control no one, you influence everyone. You get to choose the kind of influence you want to be. Jody Atherbury Hunt, author of multiple books, including Any Good Riddance. What kind of influence do you want to be? Well, I think it goes back to what we were talking about before, helping people recognize that they're not alone and that they are worthy of finding the happiness they want and don't settle. I think that is my my influence, I want people to realize that they're not alone. They're yeah. okay. They're okay, not alone, and valuable. 
Yeah. And that they will be okay. You're going to get over this. Um, it will be okay. Interesting, isn't it? Because at the moment, it just feels like this is all that happens. And there's brain science behind that. Because your limbic system is activated. Very difficult to think about the future. What will happen next? Mm -hmm. So Mark and Tom, we actually have a minute or two left. How does this resonate with you? Because Mark, you've got some sons. They may at some point be going through this. Tom, you're still compared to me quite young. So, so some things may it, 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 the, the The date as many people as possible theme uh, resonates um, and, and will be, you know, has been somewhat the advice I've, I've given them, but not with any, you know, real strength because I didn't really have a reason to truly understand why, but it makes so much sense because the more people you meet and that you become vulnerable and intimate and um, close with, you learn more about yourself, right? So keep moving and keep meeting. Yeah, but always be honest. Right, huh? agreed. Yeah, the never settle thing resonates with me because I figure, is it just me that it's weird that we have a societal expectation to, to like just find someone eventually to spend the rest of your life with, to share the same bed with every night? Like, you better make sure it's the right one. For sure. <laughs> well, that's um, something I hope for everybody who's listening and to recognize that um, you are valuable. So make sure that the person that you are with treats you with value. Jody, thanks so much for coming on the show. We can't wait to see you next February. Talk about the new book. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Thank you for having me. Good night, everybody. We'll see you next night, week. Folks. Stretch the kindness, brush with madness. Is it sadness or just a show that